You're listening to Vatican Radio. In this week's edition of Gospel Truth, the late Jill Bevilacqua and Sean Patrick Lovett bring us readings and reflections from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and 19 through 28, of the third Sunday of Advent. There was a man named John, sent by God, who came as a witness to testify to the light so that through him all might believe, but only to testify to the light, for he himself was not the light. The testimony John gave when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? was the absolute statement, I am not the Messiah. They questioned him further, Who then, Elijah? I am not Elijah, he answered. Are you the prophet? No, he replied. Finally they said to him, Tell us who you are, so that we can give some answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? He said, quoting the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice in the desert, crying out, Make straight the way of the Lord. Those whom the Pharisees had sent proceeded to question him further, If you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why do you baptize? John answered them, I baptize with water. There is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is to come after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to unfasten. This happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So ran the opening line of today's Gospel in the Old Version. In the Jerusalem Bible we have it in two short sentences. A man came sent by God. His name was John. A bald statement with no poetry in it. But perhaps we shouldn't look for poetry in scriptures. Isn't the word of God poetry enough for us? But we are creatures of words, and when the words are well chosen and seem to belong together, somehow we remember them more easily. And so I will always remember, there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The memory is also linked to what we used to call the last gospel, which came at the end of Mass in pre-council times. These words, which open our gospel today, come in the sixth verse of the first chapter of St. John's Gospel. And with these words, as one writer puts it, St. John interrupts his breathtaking prologue about the incarnation of the Word. John, we're told, didn't publish his Gospel himself. It was his disciples who did so after his death. And it was his disciples who urged him to write it. We read in a note. St. Jerome relates that when he was earnestly requested by the brethren to write the gospel, he answered he would do it if by ordering a common fast they would all put up their prayers together to the Almighty God, which being ended, replenished with the clearest and fullest revelation coming from heaven, he burst forth into that preface, In the beginning was the word, etc.
etc., indeed. Plenty of poetry in that prologue. Like Mark, John wrote his gospel at the Brethren's request, but long after the other evangelists. One note states, about 63 years after our Lord's ascension. Another tells us that the book was known and used before A.D. 150, but that the first explicit testimony is by Irenaeus, about 180. Last of all, John too, the disciple of the Lord, who leant against his breast, himself brought out a gospel while he was in Ephesus. And Ephesus, we know, was where he died, the youngest of the apostles, the last to go, dying not as a martyr like the others, but of old age. And his namesake, the other John, he never reached old age, Herodias saw to that. And though he's not usually described as a martyr, that, in effect, was what he was. He came as a witness, we read, and our word, martyr, comes from the Greek, martis, which means witness. In the early days of his pontificate, Pope John Paul II spoke these words on the Feast of St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Martyrdom is a witness of faith in the Saviour of mankind. Jesus is the only Saviour. There are no others. The life of each Christian, consistent with his faith, is continually placed under the torment of many difficulties. He often becomes a martyr, sometimes even in the physical sense, and therefore he assumes the value of witness. The letter to the Hebrews, written, we're told, to keep its readers firm under persecution, there is a much-quoted phrase, a cloud of witnesses, which refers not to the Christian martyrs, but to the heroes of faith of the Old Testament. John the Baptist was not required to give his witness as a martyr until he had completed his mission as prophet. And a note reminds us that prophecy does not mean foretelling, though it can include that, but forth-telling, uttering the truth in the power of God. And originally, we read, a martyr was someone who bears testimony. Only later it acquired the meaning of someone who bears witness to their faith with their blood. John certainly bore testimony. Twice we're told in the same sentence that he came to testify to the light. And the light is a constant theme in John the Evangelist. Christ, light of the world, light for the world. After the first paragraph here, which ends, for he himself was not the light, today's gospel leaves the prologue and jumps to verse 19, where the Baptist gives his testimony to the priests and Levites. But if we read on, the very next words in the prologue are these. The Word was the true light that enlightens all men, and he was coming into the world. And in chapter 8, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not be walking in the dark. He will have the light of life. 
and in the next chapter, before giving sight to the man born blind, he declares, As long as the day lasts, I must carry out the work of the one who sent me. The night will soon be here when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the very last time our Lord speaks to the crowds, he declares, I, the light, have come into the world, so that whoever believes in me need not stay in the dark any more. And a note in the illustrated gospel reads, As this was the last discourse which Jesus gave to the crowds, St. John makes a special point of recording that he cried out. Our Lord wishes for the last time to assert his divine messianic mission in the face of the unbelievers and the waverers. It sounds indeed almost a desperate cry, Oh, why will you not believe? Speaking of his forthcoming death, he had said that the Son of Man would be lifted up. And the crowd answered, The law has taught us that the Christ will remain forever. How can you say the Son of the Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus then said, The light will be with you only a little longer now. Walk while you have the light, or the dark will overtake you. He who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. While you still have the light, believe in the light, and you will become children of light. He could hardly have been more explicit. And as if in confirmation come these lines written in the third century by Cyprian of Carthage, bishop and martyr. If Christ is the true sun and the true day, no hour should pass for the Christian without adoring his God. And so we who are in Christ, that is, in the sun and true day, should spend the whole day in prayer. And when the sun draws nigh to its setting and night follows after, he who prays cannot fall into any evil. Even then, in the night, there is light for the sons of light. How can we be without light when the light shines in our hearts? When can we be without sun if Christ himself is our sun? And a century later, Gregory of Natsians, theologian and Greek doctor of the church, wrote this prayer. Christ, word of God, light of light without beginning, help of the Spirit, we praise you. Threefold light of one undivided glory, we praise you. You have banished the darkness and created the light, and in this you have created all things. To matter you have given life, giving it the imprint of the face of the world and the traits of its beauty. You have illumined man's spirit with reason and wisdom. Your eternal light is reflected everywhere, so that in the light man might discover true beauty and all become luminous. You have lit up the heavens with variegated lights. 
the night and the day you have commanded to take turns in a rule of fraternal friendship. The first brings to an end the fatigue of the body, the other spurs us on to work as commanded, and we flee from the darkness to hasten towards that day which no sadness of the night can ever bring to an end. Give to my eyelids a light slumber that my voice may not long remain silent, while created things watch to sing psalms with the angels, may my sleep be ever restful in your presence. May the night make me oblivious of the day's sins, and its oddities not beset my dreams. John the Baptist may not have written any books, but all those words of his which have come down to us are memorable. His testimony was brief and to the point. An absolute statement was his answer to the question, Who are you? He wasted no time on personal details. The priests well knew that as Zachary's son, he could have followed him into the priesthood, but had chosen otherwise. I am not the Messiah, he says bluntly. Then what about Elijah? He had been taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire and the Jews believed he would return to earth when the Messiah was about to appear, and indeed anoint him. But no, not the Messiah, not Elijah. Both these would have a right to baptize. From Ezekiel they knew there was to be a cleansing with water in the power of God. I shall pour clean water over you, and you will be cleansed. I shall cleanse you of all your defilement and all your idols. I shall give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. They tried one more possibility, the prophet, mentioned in Deuteronomy by Moses. Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like myself, from among yourselves, from your own brothers. To him you must listen. Could this be the man? They had to know. But again, the reply is in the negative. Well then, tell us who you are. We must take back an answer to those who sent us. What have you to say about yourself? Almost reluctantly... John finally describes himself as a voice, an instrument in other words. A voice in the desert, crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah prophesied, he says, to make sure they understand his meaning. No false modesty with John. He's not there for his own glory. He is a man sent by God, with a very definite mission. What was it Isaiah had said? A voice cries, Prepare in the wilderness a way for Yahweh. Make a straight highway for our God across the desert. Let every valley be filled in, every mountain and hill be laid low. Let every cliff become a plain and the ridges a valley. Writes Piero Bargellini in his Story of the Gospels. The highway to be straightened referred to moral rectitude and a spiritual disposition towards the Lord. The hills to be laid low were those of pride. The valleys to be filled in were those of human weakness and of the meanness of every day. The straight highway meant honesty, guided by an irreproachable conscience. As for the desert, another writer comments that the banks of the Jordan to which Don went down are called desert because they're more sparsely populated than the rest of Palestine, in that part of Judea between Jerusalem and the Sacred River. 
As the ancient people went with Moses in the desert towards the promised land, so the new people go with John in the desert towards the new kingdom. John's questioners paid no heed to his reference to Isaiah. There were those among them sent by the Pharisees, and for them, if he was neither Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why was he baptizing? And now John comes to the real point. He baptizes with water, he says. But there stands among you, unknown to you, the one who is coming after me, and I am not fit to undo his sandal strap. The day after this interrogation, John points out the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he adds, This is the one I spoke of when I said, A man is coming after me who ranks before me because he existed before me. And on this occasion, he explains why he came baptizing with water. It was to reveal him to Israel, he says. These words seem to have been spoken to John's disciples. But his declaration that he was not worthy even to unfasten the sandal strap of him who was to follow was a public admission of inferiority. Everyone in Palestine wore sandals, but to carry or unloose another person's sandals was considered a very lowly task. The last time John bore witness took place when some of his disciples told him that Jesus was baptizing now and everyone was going to him. I am not the Christ, he reminds them. I am the one who has been sent in front of him. And in his sublime humility he declares, He must increase, I must decrease. He must grow greater, I must grow smaller. And let's close with this wry poem by Thomas Hardy, expressing a totally different, if very human, attitude. Here now is The Superseded. As newer comers crowd the fore, we drop behind. We, who have laboured long and sore, times out of mind. And keen are yet, must not regret to drop behind. Yet there are some of us who grieve to go behind, staunch, strenuous souls who scarce believe their fires declined, and no none spares, remembers, cares who go behind. Tis not that we have unforetold the drop behind. We feel the new must oust the old in every kind. But yet we think, must we, must we too drop behind? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Catherine Smybert.